And we're in verse 11 today, and um, today's message is entitled, Victory. And I feel like today is an appropriate day for this message and its title, as we celebrate Veterans Day. And I want to recognize our veterans amongst us. So, if you have served in the military, would you please stand to your feet? Thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your family sacrifice. Thank you for your time in representing our country. We are not the nation we are today without you. And young people, let me encourage you. These men that just stood, what they have done is honorable. And I, I pray for you. We live in a day where the idea of our country um, seems to be almost a cuss word. I mean, it's, there's no patriotism. There's no loyalty. There's no faithfulness. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a pastor who represents... Not this earthly kingdom. I represent a kingdom to come. And as believers, that is where our loyalty and faithfulness lies, even above our own ties to our own national country. But guys, the very thing, the very principles and the character that built this country, I remind you, were built based upon the very truth of who God is and His character in the Word. Now, yes, we've had our flaws because we live in a flawed world. But there's never been a nation like this nation. And God has blessed this nation because of the gospel. Do your history. Not in a public setting, classroom, or college. Do your study on your own of true, real history of the men and women who helped shape this country who've served this country faithfully, the men and women of faith who knew Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's why we've been blessed. And so today, for those of you who've served in the military, we take this day to say thank you. Um, your sacrifice is truly a picture of the greatest sacrifice for freedom. And that's in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But what a representation. And so thank you. Um, on behalf of my family, the very freedoms we're enjoying today is because of men and women like you. Victory. When militaries uh, fought in years gone by, they didn't fight to lose. They fought to win. And when Christ came to this earth, He came to gain victory for you and me because we were in a war, like it or not, that we could not win. And therefore, we needed someone to go to battle on our behalf. And I am thankful that God loved us in such a way that He didn't give us what we deserve in justice, even though He's a just God. 
Instead, he showed us grace and mercy. And yet victory was achieved at the cross of Calvary. The greatest battlefield ever was Calvary. And Jesus won the victory. When I was growing up, my dad used to say this often, and, and I repeat it now, my kids will recognize this when I say this. But I remember a lot of times going places with my dad, and, and, and my dad would be talking to a, a cashier, a representative, a waitress, or somebody, whatever the case may be, and when he had to share his name, he would say, Jesse Varner. And without fail, I have learned through the years that for some reason, people do not understand my last name when I say it. Varner. Warner? No. Varner. Garner, no, Barner, oh, Barner, okay, it's like, man, do I speak a foreign language? So my dad, growing up, he used to say this often, right from the get-go, he would say, yes, my name's Jesse Varner, that's V as in victory, and many of you have heard me say the very thing, and it's to help clarify, V as in victory, and so to make clarification point this morning, we're going to look at a text that gives us clarification that that V definitely stands for victory. And it ain't Varner. Praise God. <laughs> Let's look at the text if you would. Again, Paul writing to the church at Colossae. There's a lot of stuff going on, most specifically heretical teachings coming into the church. There's a lot of false things that have been peddled. Uh, from Judaism to aestheticism to uh, angel worship. There's just a lot of bogus stuff happening, and Paul wants to clear up the... He wants to make clear uh, this understanding. Uh, notice, if you would, and uh, let's begin. I want to back up just a little bit to kind of give a little bit of context. Um, and, and let's just go from verse 1, and I'll just read forward this morning to verse 15. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Again, Paul wants them to be fully assured and understand this. To the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted, built up in Him, and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. You may want to underline that sentence. You are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Verse 11. In Him, 
you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He's made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. Father, I pray this morning you will please give me clarity of thought that I'll be able to make your truth simple and plain to the listener, that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher, and Lord, that uh, you will be glorified and exalted in all that's said and done here this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll remove any and all distractions from our hearts and minds. Lord, to be focused on you, and to go from here today different than how we came in. Better understanding your truth, better understanding our identity in Christ, and appropriating the victory that's been won at Calvary. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul here is continuing his thoughts on the defense of the gospel. He is wanting to encourage those believers at Colossae. He's wanting them to be reminded that it's Jesus alone. That it's not Jesus plus. Because again, many had been saying, well that's great, but you need to be circumcised and keep some of the Mosaic laws. Because you're a good Jew and good Jews do that. Others were saying, oh yeah, but if you really want to get to the next level in your Christianity, you really ought to uh, get an angel to focus on to help take you to that next level, that higher level. Many of the Gnostics were saying, yes, there's some secret knowledge and you know, there's some things we could teach you that's going to help you get a little closer to God in, in your daily living. And guys, again, we've talked about this up to this point. We can look in the Scriptures and we look back in history and we say, ah, you know, that, they were easily duped. But yet we too today see the same things happening in our churches. Vain philosophies. And we talked about this last week with the illustration of the empty present. And it looks great on the outside, but on the inside there's nothing. It is empty. And yet we buy into this all the time daily. The things that will complete your life, that will fill your life, if only I could get a little more money, if only I could have a little more time with family, if only I could... And all these things that seemingly are good on the surface, but they're empty when we try to place our faith and trust as if that's going to somehow complete us. And Paul is saying, look, you're complete in Him. Christ alone. And so he addresses in this little section of Scripture that we're in today, specifically... 
he goes into the Judaizers. And he, he wants to take on this idea, this thought of circumcision. I got an outline for you. If you're taking notes, first thing we're going to look at is in verse 11, circumcised in him. The second thing we'll look at is baptized with him, verse 12. And then we'll look at made alive by him. And many of you will see that the subject is him. Can I remind you, encourage you, the subject's always him. Amen? It's about him, guys. It's about him. Circumcised in him. Notice, if you would, in verse 11. Notice what the text says. It says, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, you guys know, you understand, uh, in the Old Testament that a Jewish child would be circumcised at age 8 and they would physically cut away the foreskin of the child and this was a sign of incorporation into the life and the body of the covenant community. If you were a part of Israel, the nation, this was your identification with the community. Everybody understand that, right? It was a sign and a seal of the covenant between Abraham and God, between Abraham's descendants and God. It was a sign which separated Jews from the Gentile. This was again something that was completely and totally different from the pagans around them. However, having that sign upon your body as a Jew did not mean you were an automatic believer in the Messiah. In fact, we know in Jesus' day He confronted many Jews who claimed Abraham as their father. And yet Jesus corrected them. Yes, many of them did ritualistic things on the outside, but the heart had never been changed or transformed. Physical circumcision did not mean they were born-again believers. And so Paul is going to address this. By the way, if you want some scriptures on that, Deuteronomy 10. Well, let's, let's, let's do this. Let me do this. I want us to understand this a little better before we go to spiritual circumcision. Go, go back in your Bible, hold your spot, and let's go over to Deuteronomy. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. And if you'll read in verse 16 with me. Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Well, what about Deuteronomy 30, verse 6? 
Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. There are other passages, Jeremiah 4, 4, 9, 25, Ezekiel. There are many passages in the Old Testament that tells us that this physical circumcision was not an automatic. In fact, it was a symbol. We're going to talk about in the New Testament, in the church age, and Paul is going to say this in just a little bit, but I won't get too far ahead of myself, but just like today, we have a similar symbol in, in the way of baptism. Baptism doesn't save but it is an outward symbol that separates us as followers of Jesus Christ. So physical circumcision was one. Spiritual circumcision was another. Let's continue this thought, the idea of the circumcision of the heart. You see, God's intent was never for Judaizers, Jews, to just keep the laws. They got so bogged down with the letter of the law, they forgot the spirit of the law. It was the, this is what led to the Pharisees, and this is why Jesus has such strong rebuke. Because they had made void the Word of God by the traditions of man. Look, if you would, over in Romans. Let's roam over to Roman. And let's go to Romans chapter 6. Actually, let's start Romans 2. Let's go Romans 2, if you would. We're going to be turning to a lot of places this morning, so keep those fingers limber. All right. 2.29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. John, if you want to go over there for a second, John chapter 3, John chapter 3. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The point with the Old Testament practice of circumcision was to identify outwardly what had happened inwardly. practical aspect of circumcision. Let's now go to Romans 6. Again, I want to kind of give us some background understanding uh, so that we can better interpret this passage. By the way, when you interpret Scripture, context matters, but the whole counsel of God matters. Amen? We need to understand this concept so that we can understand what the Apostle Paul is saying in the immediate context. Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with or cut away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Romans 6, 14. 
For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. The idea of this illustration of circumcision, Paul is wanting these people to know and understand this. These people are telling you that the Old Testament law is applicable when Christ has fulfilled the law. This was all shadows. This was pointing to. These were types. The point was, does God have your heart? Has your heart been converted? Have you truly been born again? Have you been transformed? Have you been changed? Is your faith and trust in the Messiah? In the Old Testament, they were looking forward to His coming. And so many, by faith... By the way, how are the Old Testament saints saved? It's not by keeping the law. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him, what? As righteousness. He believed in the Word of God. He trusted what God was telling him. He was trusting of the, in the promised seed who would come and take away the sins of the world. And so, as an act of faith in believing that truth, as they were drawn by God's amazing grace, by the way, when God found Abraham, was he looking? He trusted and he obeyed. And that heart transformation led to, again, what became evident through the people of Israel was an outward showing of what had happened inwardly. Now, practical circumcision. When I understand that God has cut away from my life through His death, burial, and resurrection the sin of my life, I'm no longer a slave to sin, right? Practically speaking, I, for the first time in my life, actually have the ability to be free from that sin. Before I was bound by sin, I would pursue the things that my flesh wanted. I could not control my flesh. My flesh dominated me. By the way, it dominated you. But when I am born again by the Spirit of God, I am set free. He has cut away through His circumcision at the cross of Calvary. He has removed the flesh from me as a whole. He has from you. Now, we're still in this flesh. We still stumble. We still struggle. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But for the first time in your life, the first time in my life, we actually have access to the fullness and completeness of victory over sin once and for all because He has overcome sin once and for all. Does that make sense? Shake your head if it somewhat does. If it doesn't, just you know, go back to sleep. I don't know. We're circumcised in Him. But it also says that we're baptized with Him. Let's continue our reading in Colossians. In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. By the way, Jesus was not made with hands, was He? Mm -mm. Nope. Uh, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ... 
buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. So not only were we circumcised in Him, but we were also baptized with Him. Now again, we look at a physical baptism to understand this idea. We look in Scripture and initially you find John's baptism in the New Testament. And John's baptism was different than the baptism we practice today. You need to understand that. John's baptism was a water baptism for Israel. It was repentance. Hey, he's preparing the way of the Lord. The, the Messiah that your Old Testament teachings, all the reasons you go to the synagogue, all those scriptures you've been studying, the Torah, it's all shadows, it's all types. All this was to point to the coming Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so, prior to that moment, John was baptizing, preparing the way of the Lord, calling the nation to repent. Because they had gone from the spirit of the law to the letter of the law. It was no longer faith. It was now religious duty. And so John had a physical baptism to repentance. Now, uh, look if you would over in Acts. Let's go over to Acts. And let's look in Acts 13. By the way, I didn't bring my glasses today because y'all laughed at me last week. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Acts 13. I just need to get something now from my old age memory. <laughs> anyway, now I remember to bring them. Uh, Acts 13, 24. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Um, and so again, John uh, preparing the way, verse 25, and as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. And again, he was preparing the way for Christ. Notice if you would in... Um, uh, Acts, let's go back to Acts 2 and just hold your spot there. Because, again, when Christ came, after His death, burial, and resurrection, and the church is birthed, we're under a new covenant. We're no longer under the old covenant. That's the reason why we're not required uh, to keep the law in such a way. Jesus said, a new covenant I give to you in my blood. And so one of the steps of obedience as believers that's similar to the Old Testament, likened to the circumcision, we have the baptism. And as a covenant people in the new covenant, one of the ordinances, one of the two that we're commanded in Scripture to continue is this of baptism. Now water baptism, and I need to explain this because there's a lot of misunderstanding out there in a lot of churches today on what water baptism is. So let me tell you what water baptism is not. Water baptism does not regenerate you. There is a teaching called baptismal regeneration. And there are churches that actually teach that you are not born again, you do not receive the Holy Spirit until you go underwater and come up out of the water. 
lot of Pentecostal churches, churches of Christ, these are some of the ones who, who teach baptismal regeneration through water baptism. Now, guys, I want to be careful here because I know a lot of you grew up in some of those places. You've got family members in those places. But let me just tell you, this is exactly what Paul is addressing in Colossae. That's a Jesus plus. That's you doing something. You mean I can't be regenerated unless I go under the water and come up? That sounds like an awful lot like works. Again, what Paul is addressing, these vain philosophies, these, these things, they had crept into the church in his day. Why would we think it any different that we've got a lot of larger sects today that practice some of these things? Baptism does not save you. Circumcision did not save you in the Old Testament. Baptism in the New Testament, we, we're not saved by baptism. Don't take my word for it. Let's read the Scripture. Acts 2, 41. Then those who gladly received His word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Acts 8. Verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he, he baptized him. Back it up just a little bit to get the context. So the eunuch, verse 34, answered Philip and said, I ask you, to have, whom does the prophet say this? Of, whom, of himself or, or some other man? He was reading Isaiah, and, and here's Philip's going to explain to him. And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at the Scripture, preached Jesus to him. Notice he didn't preach baptism. He didn't preach uh, circumcision. He didn't preach uh, join a church. He preached Jesus to him. And notice what happened. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, Throughout Scripture in the New Testament, you'll see many times. In fact, there's a time in Acts where uh, some of Jesus' disciples meets John's disciples on the road. Uh, and then they ask, hey, you know, have you been baptized? Said, well, we were baptized with John's baptism. They share the gospel. And guys, throughout the New Testament, you're always going to see there's, they believe and then they're baptized. Now, this is a little different than the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you've got babies at eight years old or at eight, eight days old being circumcised. And so there's some today who will try to say, well, see, um, that's why infant baptism is okay. There's good, you know, Bible-believing scholars that will make that argument. I, I disagree with that argument. In fact, I know the Old Testament is given to us as an example. 
But you think about it. In the Old Testament, it was a covenant community, and so this mark was, to, again, to separate them out. But again, that didn't guarantee that they would uh, remain true Israel. There are many today that follow in believers' baptism that are not true believers, right? The external efforts don't save anyone. It's that internal renewal. But I think in the New Testament, we have baptism after belief. And by the way, go through the Scriptures. Don't take my word for it. They believe and then they're baptized. It's an act of obedience after the fact. Even the... Even the uh, uh, by the way, just to prove that baptism doesn't save you, was the thief on the cross ever baptized? But yet, what did Jesus say to him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now some, anyway, I don't get into theological, we'll save that for lunch with the O'Harris. But anyway, glad Mike is with us today. But guys, here's the point I want to make real clear. Baptism does not save you. It's an act of obedience. But we need to understand not the physical baptism, we need to understand the spiritual baptism because this is where it clears up that difference. Go with me to Acts 11, verse 16. Acts 11, verse 16. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What about 1 Corinthians? Let's go over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 13. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Galatians. Let's go there. Galatians 3. And let's look in verse... 27. Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Guys, when you become a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you are baptized into Christ. It's a spiritual baptism. You are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit the moment you believe, the moment you are converted, the moment that you are regenerated, you are born again. You are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You are baptized into Christ. And so Paul, back in Colossians... Chapter 2, in Him, speaking of Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands 
by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. See, Christ fulfilled that type, that symbol. He, and then buried with Him in baptism. Did you get in the water with, with Jesus? No, you weren't physically there the day that He was in the water, right? But guys, spiritually speaking, He has fulfilled all the requirements. And in, in Him, that spiritual baptism is applied to our account. That spiritual circumcision is applied to the Old Testament account. It's all fulfilled in Christ. Because in Him, by the circumcision of Christ, by the burial with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from dead. Now there's a practical baptism. Let's try to understand this practical side of things. Um, Romans, you can, if you're getting tired, you can hold your spot and I'll just read it to you. It's kind of what I do. It's kind of my thing. <laughs> Romans 6. Verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life. Guys, y'all know when I do a baptism up here, that's one of the things that Pastor Jeremy does. That when you go under the water, and again, this is a symbol, this represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That, sim, that, that symbolic uh, showing, again, you as a professor of, I'm a believer in Christ, you are identifying with the group, the community of believers, and you're saying to the unbelieving world, and you're saying to other saints, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I've put my faith and trust in His completed work. I've been baptized with Him through His death, burial, and resurrection. And I say, when I do this with you guys, Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. You know the practical side of circumcision? You know the practical side of baptism? Was that the flesh would die. That the old man would be crucified. That we would no longer live for the lust thereof, but we would walk in a new way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And for the first time in your life and my life, we can actually do that. Because Jesus has the victory. I know you want to sing it. I got the victory, hallelujah. I got the victory, hallelujah. Anyway, David Jeremiah taught us that song. Little ditty. Anyway, I'll stick to preaching. All right. Practical, guys. Practically speaking, you and I have been delivered from the bondage of sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. May it never be so. And it's not about me using asceticism. 
that's me whipping my back. That's not me trying to do better. Oh, I just got to do better. No, it's me simply yielding. I yield my control of my life to the Lord of my life. Because now the Spirit of God indwells me richly. And so as I begin to have the mind of Christ, as I begin to actually read His Word, study his, this Word, begin to understand the deep truths of His Word, then I am able, because now there's some actual tools in my toolbox that I can put into practice, I can allow the Spirit of God to live in me and through me. Because for the first time in our life, we can. Because whom the Son sets free... Is free indeed. And so Paul says, you don't need Jesus plus. You don't need all, all this extra stuff. You've got the victory. Hallelujah. Back over to Colossians. Man, time flies. We're having fun. All right. Notice verses 13 through 15. Here's what he says. And you, who's he talking to? <laughs> He's talking to you. You're talking to me? I'm talking to you. And you, being dead in your trespasses. Those are some blatant offenses. You're crossing a boundary. You're crossing a line intentionally. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He's made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. What? Yes, He's forgiven you all of your trespasses. Before, guys, conversion, He says here, you're dead. What do dead people do? Absolutely nothing. They can't. They're dead. Go visit some dead people today. See what they do. They get up, come tell me about it. I'm just saying. They're dead. We're dead. You're dead. I'm dead. We're dead. We're spiritually dead. And unless God does something to breathe life into us, unless God does something to awaken us, unless God do something to quicken us, we'll stay dead. And that's why the world has no interest in the things that you have interest in as a born-again believer. That's why people can sit in this church and hear the Word of God and be boring. Because the Word is not life to them. In fact, it's the very stench of death, eternal death, for many. But after conversion, for those of you who've been born again, you're alive. For the first time, you're, you're alive. Hey, I thought I was alive in my sin, guys, but that was the flesh. I was dead man walking. But when God quickened me, when He made me alive, when He converted me, when I was born again, my eyes were open. I'm alive. Praise God, I'm alive. I see what life is really about. By His grace, He's forgiven us. Notice, we'll continue reading. He said He's forgiven us. He says, He's made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. I mean, the slate's wiped clean, guys. The ink's removed. 
the, the, the blot, the, the, the sin stain on our soul has been wiped out. It's been cleared. The handwriting of requirements that was against us. Uh, again, the idea of you had a debt. This is, a, this is a, a term that oftentimes debtors would use. and They would write out, hey, you, you, you owe a debt. You know, many of you get bills, you owe a debt, right? It's been wiped out. He says that it's been nailed to the cross. The handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. By the way, we broke the law. That was the payment. We've lied, we've stolen, we've done these things. Therefore, we deserve death. Eternal separation. Eternal death. But it says here, that was against us, it was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Amen? He's nailed it to the cross, guys. When Jesus hung on a cross, oftentimes the criminal, what was nailed above His head, the writing, was what He had done, His offense. And when you think about our sin, when I think about my sin, that was written... All of my sin, all of your sin, we broke the law. He did not. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He took that on himself for us. It's nailed to the cross. And notice how it ends. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. <laughs> think about this picture. Satan had to think, we got him, we got him. They stripped him, they whipped him, he was naked, they, they spit on him, they plucked his beard, they put a crown of thorns, they made fun of him, they mocked, they, they thought the enemy of our soul and his little emissaries thought they had one. And what we know now was it was complete opposite. Jesus was displaying their shame. He was exposing their nakedness. He was the one that was triumphing over them. He was disarming death. Oh, death, where is your sting? He has set us free, guys. We have victory over the grave. Jesus has disarmed and triumphed over the enemy. So here's where we Christians get hung up. Yeah, we understand justification. Yeah, I understand. I trust Jesus for my eternal soul that one day I will be in heaven. I trust Jesus for justification that He's wiped my slate clean, that He has nailed it to the cross, that I'm no longer guilty of my sin because my faith is in Him. I've been circumcised. I've been uh, baptized in Him spiritually because He fulfills all the requirements. But we fail to live currently in the power of that victory. And so everything that comes against us defeats us. And Paul had just told them, just as you received Him, so walk in Him. Walking is a continual practice. You can't walk standing still. How did you receive Him? By faith. 
So then how are you going to overcome what you're facing today? How is your marriage going to be healed? How is your child who's wayward uh, going to hear the truth? How is it that you're going to overcome this, this situation at work? Whatever it is you're facing, let me tell you what Paul's telling the people of Colossae. The same way you are banking on standing in glory one day, forgiven of all your sin, is the same way you'll face this circumstance. By faith. The just shall live by faith. And you're complete in Him. There's nothing lacking. You mean to tell me, Pastor, every single thing I need for my life in this circumstance I already have? Absolutely. Now that's not to say that God's going to remove the sickness or that's not to say that He's not going to remove the thorn in your flesh. But I promise you this, based upon thus saith the Lord, everything you have to complete your walk through this valley, He's given you. Abide in Him and let His Word abide in you. Live by faith. Trust Him through the circumstances. All the completeness, Paul says, is there. In the context, they're facing these false teachings that are causing... And what false teachings are always trying to sidetrack us to always kind of get our eyes off of the victory. It's to get our eyes off of Him. And so Paul is reminding them that the victory is ours. In his book, Finding a Faith That Makes Sense, Scott Colgazer writes... He recently saw a news report about an army veteran named John Crabtree who'd been receiving benefits from the government. Evidently, he had been wounded in Vietnam, was now on permanent disability. One day out of the blue, he received an official notification from the government of his own death. Needless to say, this was quite a shock to John. Mr. Crabtree wrote the government a letter stating that he was indeed very much alive and would like to continue receiving his benefits. The letter did no good. He then tried calling the government. You ever try calling the government? <laughs> uh, it requires the patience of Joe, right? Uh, and the persistence of Noah. The phone call didn't change the situation either. Finally, at last resort, the veteran contacted a local television station which ran a human interest story about his situation. During the interview, the reporter asked him, how do you feel about this whole ordeal? The veteran chuckled and said, well, I feel a little frustrated by it. After all, have you ever tried to prove that you're alive? Guys, can I tell you something? In Christ, you're alive. You were dead. But in Christ, you have life. And you have life abundantly. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus wants to give life and give it abundantly. Not justification. He wants to give you sanctification. Not just take you out of the penalty of sin. He wants to deliver you in the midst of, through the, the, the power of sin. He wants to deliver you out of the power of sin. And one day glorification, He wants to take you out from the very presence of sin. So what can be added that the believer does not already possess 
in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's asking. <laughs> what else? It's Jesus alone, man. You don't need anything. You, you, you want the Judaizers to say be circumcised? You've already been circumcised in Christ. People are saying, oh, you've got to be baptized in water to receive the Holy Spirit. You've already been baptized spiritually into Christ. These are externals. This ring doesn't make me married. I wear this ring as an external to show you I'm married. I'm fatter today than I was yesterday. I tried to take this off yesterday, and I barely... I can't even get it off today. Oh, there we go. I'm still married. Guys, nothing can be added. You possess everything you need. The very life that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you. Wow. Our need is simply to appropriate what we have in Christ and thus by faith live accordingly. Do we not understand? I'm telling you, this is one of the biggest breakthroughs in your spiritual walk when you begin to understand who you are and your identity, what Christ has done for us, and that we can live that out. I can appropriate that into my everyday living. This isn't just some boring Bible study. This is transformation when we understand what God is trying to communicate to us through the living Word. We were dead, but praise God. We are alive. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. Let's pray. Father, you've given us victory. <laughs> Thank you for victory. V is for victory, and it's in Jesus. Thank you for triumphing over the principalities and powers that are shooting fiery darts at couples right now, at homes right now. Thank you for triumphing over those who are having doubt and fear over various reasons. Thank you for the victory that's in Christ that assures us that we're complete in Him. And so, Lord, help us this morning as we go from here to... to receive this understanding just as we received Christ by faith that we might walk in newness of life. And Lord, I pray if there be any soul here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that the Spirit of God would work on their heart, that the truth of God would penetrate. I know the little G God of this world has blinded their minds but Lord, this is the glorious light of the gospel that can penetrate. And by your grace, Lord, would you apply that truth and understanding that their eyes might be opened, that they might be quickened by the Spirit of God. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to humble your heart right now to repent, recognize we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in the finished work of Calvary, Jesus invites you, whosoever will, let them come. And if the Spirit is drawing you this morning, then simply trust and obey. Put your faith in who He is. And he says, whosoever shall call upon my name shall be saved. If you've never called on his name, 
then I invite you today to turn from your sin and surrender your life at the cross of Calvary and exchange your life of sin for the newness that He desires to give you. He'll renew your heart. He'll renew your mind. He'll give you a new heart. He will give you a new purpose. He'll give you a new life if you'll simply trust Him by faith and walk by faith. Lord, salvation belongs to you. And I pray that you will do what only you can do. And if that's you today and you're calling upon the name of Christ, let somebody know. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We would love to talk to you about believer's baptism, which is simply an, out, an external of what's happened on the internal. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for this truth and this reminder on this Veterans Day. Be with our soldiers even now as they're serving many parts around the world. Lord, may they understand the truth of the freedom they fight for. That freedom ultimately is found in a person. And his name is Christ. Jesus Christ our Lord. And so it's in his name that we say thank you for our victory. And his shed blood. And all of God's people said... Amen.